I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis preaching my 87th sermon on the biblical design of gender, point being that if we believe that Jesus Christ existed and we should do as Jesus Christ instructs us, that Jesus Christ was sent by God and is actually God in the flesh, our primary act of belief in him is to love one another. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on this August 14th, this beautiful Lord's Day morning, and it's good to see all of you here with us today uh, on this great Sunday morning. The, our lesson for this morning is our 87th uh, part in our sermon series on the biblical design of gender, and the text is in the book of John, chapter 11, verse 45, and in it the Bible says this. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in Jesus. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. And Lord, we ask you that you would give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thank you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you for listening and thinking with me as we study God's word so that we can obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now our text this morning, John chapter 11, verse 45 says, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in Jesus. One of the most important questions in Christendom is, what did John mean when he wrote that many of the Jews believed in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? First of all, there is the trivial definition which is that the Jews believe that Jesus existed. A lot of people use that definition today, meaning that they believe that Jesus Christ was an historical person about whom a biography could be written, much like they believe in George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. In our generation, the trivial definition is important because there are also many people who don't believe that the biblical accounts of Jesus Christ portray an actual person. 
many people think that the biblical record of Jesus Christ is a myth, much like the myth of Santa Claus, which is based upon the life of an historical person, St. Nicholas, the Catholic bishop of the town of Myrna on the southern coast of present-day Turkey in the third century. It is important for us, from the perspective of history, to believe that a person named Jesus Christ actually lived. But in context, that cannot be how the scripture defines belief. The trivial definition of belief is too intuitively obvious to make its way into our Bibles, modified by the word many. Since the Jews were interacting with Jesus Christ, looking at him and talking to him, not many, but all the Jews knew that Jesus Christ was living. They saw and spoke to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was there. But let us go farther in our definition. Think with me for a minute. If we look at our current political system, we see that there are two political parties, Republican and Democrat. This is because some people believe in the principles that the Democrats espouse and others believe in the principles that the Republicans espouse. If the pollsters can be believed, about one third of the people in the country are Democrats, another third are Republicans, and another third are undecided. In this context, believing in a party means to accept the principles that that party espouses. Some people believed in Jesus Christ, meaning that they believed in following the principles that Jesus Christ espoused. Others did not. In our last lesson, we discussed a young man that did not believe in following the instructions that Jesus gave him. The Bible records in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus said to the young man, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus invited the young man to become his follower to develop the one attribute in the young man that he needed to become perfectly qualified to enter into heaven. The young man had to choose whether or not to believe in Jesus' instructions, sell all that he had, and follow Jesus. And Matthew chapter 19, verse 22 tells us, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The young man had no problem believing that Jesus was living. He knew that Jesus was alive. He was talking to Jesus. But the young man did have a problem believing he should follow the instruction that Jesus Christ gave him. Believing that Jesus Christ is a wonderful counselor and that we should do that which Jesus Christ instructs us requires a higher level of belief than simply believing Jesus Christ existed. But let us go farther in our definition. We recently discussed the episode in which Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Before Jesus did so, 
Jesus prayed as John chapter 11, verse 41 and 42 records. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. This passage of scripture tells us that God sent Jesus Christ into the world. And after watching Jesus Christ bring Lazarus back to life after he had been buried in a tomb for four days, many of those that saw or heard the report of this miracle believed that Jesus Christ was truly sent from God. Our text, John chapter 11, verse 45, tells us, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in Jesus. Believing that Jesus Christ was sent into the world by God requires a higher level of belief than simply believing Jesus Christ is a wonderful counselor and that we should do that which Jesus Christ instructs us or simply believing Jesus Christ existed. But God sent at least one other person into the world other than Jesus Christ. As John chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So there is still a higher level of belief than believing that Jesus Christ was sent into the world by God. To define this fourth and final level of belief, let us look at my old friend, the disciple Thomas. Thomas was a favorite of mine. Thomas was neither sentimental nor was he interested in the unverified testimony of others. Although the other ten disciples all testified to Thomas that they saw and spoke with the resurrected Jesus Christ and watched Jesus demonstrate that he was not a spirit by eating food right before their very eyes, their testimony did not impress Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24 and 25 records, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was also a favorite of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not offended by Thomas's refusal to believe his fellow disciples' account of his visit to them any more than Jesus was offended because Thomas's fellow disciples did not believe the women when they reported that they saw Jesus. After all, believing the crucified Jesus Christ rose from the dead unassisted was a pretty difficult thing in which to believe without actually seeing him. Now, I believe because of history and because of the witness of the Holy Spirit, who did not come to the earth to minister to the church until the day of Pentecost, which was some 50 days after this Passover event. So Jesus obliged Thomas, as John chapter 20, verse 26 and 27 says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. 
Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. After Jesus spoke, Thomas believed, not merely in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but Thomas finally believed that which Jesus Christ had been teaching the disciples during his almost four years of ministry. John chapter 20, verse 28 records, And Thomas answered and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. The fourth and highest level belief in Jesus Christ is the belief that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 prophesied of Jesus Christ for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace. Jesus Christ is the mighty God and the everlasting father. And Jesus Christ testifies to this fact himself. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my father are one. Believing that Jesus Christ is actually God in the flesh requires a higher level of belief than believing Jesus Christ was sent by God or believing Jesus Christ was a wonderful counselor and we should do as Jesus Christ instructs us or simply believing Jesus Christ existed. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The phrase, whoever believes in him, is referring to this highest level of belief. The belief that Jesus Christ actually existed, that Jesus Christ is a wonderful counselor, and that we should do as Jesus Christ instructs us, that Jesus Christ was sent by God, and that Jesus Christ is actually God in the flesh. And the understanding of the word belief will allow us to gain the proper perspective on our lesson for today. The text tells us that many of the Jews believed in Jesus Christ, but not all. John chapter 11, verse 45 through 48 records, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. 
obviously, the men in the council of the chief priests and Pharisees cannot be counted among those that believed in Jesus Christ. If they believed in Jesus Christ, they would not have been concerned about the reaction of the Romans to Jesus Christ's ministry, especially the high priest. John chapter 11, verse 49 through 53 records, and one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. It is clear that Caiaphas is not a believer. The final human plot to put Jesus Christ to death, the plot that led to Jesus Christ's actual crucifixion on the cross of Calvary, started as a response to Jesus is raising a man from the dead. And the scribes and Pharisees did believe that Jesus Christ had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now in our country, people are usually sentenced to death for doing something illegal. There has never been, to my knowledge, in ancient Israel or in Rome, a law against raising someone from the dead. Generally speaking, raising someone from death would be considered a good thing. Nevertheless, the Jewish leaders plotted to put Jesus Christ to death because he did so. In John chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Since Jesus Christ has not done anything illegal, having in fact done nothing but good, I think that it was reasonable of Jesus Christ to inquire of these Jews as to why they were so determined to kill him. And the Jews responded in John chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered Jesus saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. It is interesting that the eyewitness testimony of those who went to mourn for Lazarus was that Jesus Christ actually raised Lazarus from death physically after Lazarus had been dead and buried for four days. This testimony, however, did not persuade the Jewish leaders to at least consider the possibility that Jesus Christ might actually be whom he said he was, that being the Son of God. After all, many of the common people believed in Jesus for a concrete reason. John chapter 7 verse 31 records, And many of the people believed in Jesus and said, When the Christ comes, Will he do more sign than these which this man Jesus has done? 
even the casual observer of the life of Christ recognized that there was something extraordinary about Jesus's activities. However, the extraordinary nature of Jesus's ministry threatened the more mundane nature of the ministry of the Jewish leaders. It is hard for a religious establishment that is based upon lineage to flourish when there is a man in town healing the sick, opening blinded eyes, unstopping deaf ears, healing those whom we call mentally ill, whom the Bible calls demon-possessed, and raising the dead. Jesus developed his position of leadership with the Jewish rank and file because of his actions. But the Jewish religious leadership did not want Jesus as their leader. They wanted to maintain their position of leadership because of their lineage. They were the descendants of Jacob's son Levi and felt entitled to the religious leadership of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 1 and 2 told Israel, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and his portion. Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi, and the Jewish religious leaders, who were members of that tribe, considered that Jesus was infringing on their territory, becoming known as the foremost religious teacher, healer, and prophet in the land. Jesus was living up to his claim to be the Messiah. And since the Jewish religious leaders who were from the tribe of Levi had no power to stop Jesus, they decided to kill Jesus. Now, not only did Jesus know of the plan of the Jewish leadership, Jesus also knew that the plan of the Jewish leadership was part of God's greater plan to save the whole world from the penalty and power of sin. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross as a sacrifice, as God's own human sacrifice to pay the penalty of sin so that men do not have to pay it. And just as the priests and Levites presided over the killing of sacrificial animals in the temple, when a man brought a sacrifice to God, the priests and Levites had to preside over God's own sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew it. Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. This was Jesus' purpose for being born. And Jesus was revealing this to those that were closest to him, so that once the events took place, his closest associates would be able to represent him well. Interestingly, one of those close associates was not 
an apostle. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and 39 tells us, Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. The scripture mentions Mary and Martha, but even as Jesus comes to raise their brother Lazarus from the dead, Mary and Martha are mentioned, but their husbands are not. The clear implication was that Mary and Martha did not have husbands and called on their brother Lazarus when they required the help of a man to get some household chores done. And it is also not beyond the pale to imagine that the reason that Martha was such a great hostess for people passing through her town was that she was hoping to meet a man that would not just take advantage of her hospitality temporarily, but permanently. Martha was trying to impress Jesus with her serving, while Mary was simply sitting at Jesus' feet, learning the lessons that Jesus was teaching. And Martha was not exactly interested with having her sister spend so much time with Jesus. So Martha tried to break them up. Luke chapter 10 verse 40 tells us, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. But Jesus did not submit to Martha's request because Mary had the ability to understand Jesus' ultimate purpose, and it was a comfort to Jesus when someone listened to the oracles of God and understood them. So Jesus responded in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus only needed one thing. Mary understood that which Jesus needed, and she decided to supply it to him. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12, Solomon prophesies, While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law, till all is fulfilled. All of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus have to be fulfilled before Jesus can complete his mission. And it is Mary's good work to fulfill Solomon's prophecy. John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 records, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made Jesus a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. 
This was six days before the Passover period during which Jesus was going to be hanging from Calvary's cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Jesus knew it and Mary knew it. The disciples had been told of Jesus' impending crucifixion, but they were not able to comprehend. It is more difficult for men to deal with watching someone sacrifice themselves than it is for women. A man's natural response is to either fight, as Peter did when the men from the chief priest came to arrest Jesus, or to flee, as did the other disciples except John when this happened. But when men go off to war, their mothers and wives write letters, send care packages, and generally try to do all that they can to keep their warrior spirits up. And Mary's demonstration at the supper proved that she would make a great warrior's wife. She listened to that which her warrior and defender Jesus Christ told her and was prepared to do all which she could do to support Jesus and keep his spirits up. So Mary fulfilled Solomon's prophecy. John chapter 12, verse 3 tells us, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And Mary's benevolent act had the side effect of pointing out Jesus' evil disciple to him. John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6 tells us, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Jesus did not reveal Judas's lying hypocrisy and embarrass him, but simply defended Mary's generous action. John chapter 12, verse 7 and 8 tells us, But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus Christ was looking at two of the toughest days in history coming toward him on the next Thursday and Friday. Mary understood that Jesus Christ was on his way to the cross, not for any benefit or reason for himself, but simply because he loved her. God so loved the world means that God loves each of us personally. Jesus did not go to the cross out of obligation, but after walking through the towns of Israel, interacting with the people for three and a half years while doing nothing but good, Jesus Christ found that he had an actual affinity and actual love for the people that he created. God created each of us individually, sent us here intentionally, 
watches over us purposefully and enjoys us as we exercise our dominion in preparation for returning to him successfully. God actually loves each of us and our love for God is but a reaction to his love for us. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 and 19, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. We love him because he first loved us. Love for each of us is God's primary attribute. When Jesus spent that time talking to Mary, Mary recognized beyond the shadow of a doubt that she was talking to a man that loved her and would give himself for her. And so, when that man that loved her was eating at her table on his way to the cross, she reciprocated his love, pouring out her love on him in the only way that she appropriately could. And that is our charge. Since God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him, we can do no less than marry. If we believe in Jesus Christ, meaning if we believe that Jesus Christ actually existed, that Jesus Christ is a wonderful counselor, and that we should do as Jesus Christ instructs us, that Jesus Christ was sent by God, and that Jesus Christ is actually God in the flesh, our primary act of believing in him is fulfilling his commandment to love one another. Our exercise of our love for one another is our primary way to witness that we love Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 tells us, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So as we go down from this place today, let us resolve to be patient and kind with one another. Let us not be envious or puffed up with pride, nor should we self-centeredly seek our own best good at the expense of our brother or sister. Let us not be rude or easily provoked, walking around with a chip on our shoulder thinking evil. And rather than being glad about our sins, let us be glad when the beneficial truth comes out. Let us be able to bear one another's burdens, endure hardship as a good soldier, hoping the best for one another and believing the best of one another. And that's love. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, 
you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ proved his love for us in his sacrifice on the cross. Let us act in loving fashion as we prove our love for one another. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would change minds and touch hearts, and that you would help us, Lord, to fall out with the wicked ways of this world, and let us not scratch and bite and claw one another. Let us not think badly and talk badly about one another. But let us love one another as you have loved us and let us do so sacrificially as we give ourselves for one another that the world might know from our example that we are your disciples because we have love for one another. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.